Tonight, uh, it's February 4th, 2015. We're going to talk about the path of Elijah. As I was reading this past week, um, the past few days, um, and the past few weeks, uh, something big got illuminated to me, and it was a compelling pattern in the Word that I've never seen before. Once the Lord showed it, you know when, when you're reading the Word and the Lord reveals something to you, and you see it, and then after you see it, there's no going back. It's, you can't unsee it anymore. You can't go back and say, well, I, I saw this once, but I'm going to complete. No, it was not like that. I saw it, and I could not help but see it everywhere throughout the Word. But it didn't stop at the Word. It went into my life. It evaluated my life. It evaluated the intentions of my heart. It evaluated my hunger. It evaluated what I did on a daily basis. And it was a, it was like looking at my life in a mirror. And the Lord dealt with me. And He changed the way that I did things. He changed and rearranged some of the priorities of my life. I'm going to share that tonight and I hope that the Lord will speak to you through it like He did me. We're going to start with Elijah, of course. Why Elijah? Why Elijah? Well, there's just a few chapters in the Word of God. A lot considering he's one man. But just a few chapters in the Word of God about this man, this prophet, Elijah the Tishbite. It starts in 1 Kings 17. It's an interesting thing. We have, I'm going to go through four chapters and I'm just going to talk to you about some of the things Elijah did. Just listen. In 1 Kings 17, he confronts Ahab the king of Israel. And in the name of the Lord pronounces a drought on the land that lasted for three and a half years to go and face a king to say, look, by my word, as long as I do not speak water over this land, there will not be any water and to walk away from it. That's some chutzpah. That's some boldness. He is miraculously fed bread and meat by ravens. He cried out to the Lord, and raised a widow's son to life. He raised the dead. In 1 Kings 18, he gathered all of Israel to Mount Carmel. He combated 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah with no other prophet of the Lord standing next to him and went as far as to taunt them when Baal did not respond to their shouting and dancing. The Lord answered his prayer with fire from heaven. He commanded the Israelites to seize the prophets of Baal and slaughter them, and they did. The Lord empowered him to outrun a chariot for a distance of about 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. One run, 17 miles, full pace, outrunning a chariot. Yeah, the last five items, all of chapter 18, that was in one day. 1 Kings 19, he ate a couple loaves of baked bread or cakes and had some water, then traveled for 40 days and 40 nights with no other provision. The Lord appeared to him in a gentle whisper. 2 Kings 1, 
The Lord brought fire down upon his enemies. That's where we're going to stop. Elijah, revered in the Jewish culture. At the cedar, there's a seat laid out for him. It's the seat of Elijah. They're waiting for his presence to come. There's a four cups, and the fifth cup is not partaken of. It's Elijah's. It belongs to him. Elijah is so revered in the Jewish culture. I had the privilege uh, of speaking with a Jewish man today at the shop. He walked through the doors. He wanted to get an inspection on his car. And uh, it's about the third time I've gotten the opportunity to speak with him. And uh, he's going to Israel in May. He goes every few months. His mom's still over there. His name is Mr. Solomon. Uh, yeah, what a name. And so I'm asking him all kinds of questions. He knows the Word really well. Knows the Torah really, really well. I'm asking him all kinds of questions. And I finally say, what I understand about Elijah. I've read the Word. I understand the great things that he did. The great things that the Lord did through him. But tell me, what, what is it about Elijah? What is it that you can see about Elijah that really stands out to you in the culture? And uh, he looked at me and he said, Elijah was a man of God and he was a mighty man, but he was just a man. And at first I, I almost got a little bit offended. I was kind of taken back. Uh, I was very surprised to hear uh, a Jewish man speak like this. Uh, later on in the day, it hit me. He was just a man. He was just a man. Maybe that's why James, in the fifth chapter of James, he has to, uh, he has to assure us that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Even as James was. Even as we are today, Elijah was just a man. So we left off in 2 Kings 1, and we pick up in 2 Kings 2. If you want the spirit of Elijah, you must walk the path of Elijah. If you want the spirit of Elijah, you must walk the way that he walked, the path that he walked. We're going to read 2 Kings 2, 1 through 8, together. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha, we're on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elisha said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went 
and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. We see four different places here. They started and set out from Gilgal. From there, they got to Bethel. From Bethel, they set out and they went to Jericho. From Jericho, they left and they got to the Jordan and they crossed over the Jordan. Four places. You guys with me? Amen. In a straight line, these four places would be about 25, a 25-mile journey. Um, most scholars think that it's probably 40 to 50 miles that they did in one day. You can tack that up to the list. So, let's go through them. Gilgal. Joshua 5.9. Something happened at Gilgal. Joshua and the Israelites. Joshua received something from the Lord. And the Lord... Uh, told him to circumcise all the Israelites. You see, the Israelites had been in the desert for 40 years. 40 years wandering around. And the fathers of the sons had perished. And the sons had come up and taken the place of the fathers. But in the desert for 40 years, there, there had not been any circumcision. And so they came to Gilgal. And the Lord said, Okay, Joshua, now's the time. Circumcise the Israelites. And so... Joshua was obedient and he did so. He circumcised them. And so it says that Gilgal was called, rolled away, separated. A a cutting away of the flesh occurred at Gilgal. This was one of the major actions that the Lord had established for his chosen people to be separate from all the other nations of the world. This is the first part of the journey. Gilgal is separate. We move on to Bethel. Genesis 35, verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. The first four times that Bethel is mentioned in the word, altar is right there with it. Bethel, altar. The first four times. So, an altar, if you're looking at the Strong's number, 4196, it's Mizbayak. It means what you think it means. It means a place of sacrifice. So, Bethel is sacrifice. We have separate at, at Gilgal and we have sacrifice at Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Where is the pivotal story of Jericho in the Word of God? Joshua 6. Exactly. So, in 2 through 9, you see that the Lord speaks to Joshua. He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and fighting men. You see, Joshua had sought the Lord, and the Lord had spoke to him told him what to do, showed him the path, showed him how to line up the Israelites as they marched around the city of Jericho, one following the other. And the Lord said, do it this way. Put the ark here. Put the trumpeteers here. 
Put the army here. Put the rest of the Israelites here. That they would follow each other around the city. If you look up the, the word follow in the dictionary, or if you look up the word seek in the dictionary, you'll find each other there as a primary definition. Follow or seek. You see, when you seek God, when someone seeks God, you see Joshua seeking the Lord God. There was always the intent to follow. They go hand in hand. Seeking and following always go hand in hand. If you're seeking the Lord without the intention to follow, to move your feet in steps of faith, then you've missed what seeking the Lord is all about. So Jericho is seek. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Through all this, Elisha replies, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not going to leave you. So they walked on. The Jordan. That's Yarden. That's Strong's 3383. It means the descender or the descending river. In Joshua 3, we find in verses 11 through 13, these verses, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Jordan means descending river. But so many times in the Word we see the Israelites come to the river Jordan, step into it, and they see the river go up in a heap. They see the, it, it completely just like the Red Sea in Moses. You see it come up and it stands up straight. And the glory of God is seen in that place as they cross over the Jordan. So, descending river, the descending flow of the river of God straight from the heavenlies. The Jordan. The Jordan means the glory of God is seen. You see the glory of God. So, what do we have? We have separate. We have sacrifice. We have seek. And we have see the glory of God. So it's a pattern. It's in the Word. Where else can we see it? What about Noah? What about Noah? It said that Noah was a righteous man. He was separate from the world. He was separate from all others. You see, he kept himself pure. He separated himself. And he sacrificed over a hundred years of his life to build the ark. To build the ark of the Lord. And he sought the Lord God, saying, When, O Lord, will the rains come? And the Lord said, Okay, the rains are coming in a week. Get on in the ark. And he and his family, all of them, they got into the ark, the animals two by two, the Lord sealed it. And afterward, after the floodwaters had resided, the Lord made a covenant with Noah and with all of mankind. And the glory of God was seen in the form of a rainbow. Where else? Where else? What about the exodus from Egypt? 
What about that? The Israelites are in their own camp, separate from the Egyptians. There was even light in the camp of the Israelites in the midst of darkness for all the rest of Egypt as the Lord judged the Egyptians and judged Pharaoh. So they were separate. They sacrificed. The site of the first Passover happened right here. The Passover lamb. You see, Passover, Pesach, that means the sacrifice of the Passover. The first sacrifice of Passover occurred here. So there was a separation. There was a sacrifice. Then the Israelites sought the Lord. They sought the Lord. And as the Lord drew them out, and they came to the Red Sea, the sea parted. The Israelites went over on dry land. The glory of God was seen. As a matter of fact, this is the first time that glory appears in the Word of God. Exodus 14 says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. What about Joshua 5-6? through What happened in Joshua? There was a separation with the circumcision at Gilgal. There was a sacrifice with the Passover. Israelites seeking to follow when the Lord speaks to Joshua. And they saw the glory of God revealed when the walls came down and the Israelites took the city of Jericho. So, we have this pattern. We have this reoccurring theme in the Word. It's seen over and over and over again. But where's the bridge? Where does it meet the road? Where does it come in contact with our very lives? Is this really the path of Elijah? Is it the path of Noah? Is it the path of Joshua, the Israelites? What is it? Is it the path of Jesus? You see, Luke 9.23 says this, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself. That's Gilgal. That's the separation from your own desires. You separate yourself. Step one. Your desires die. Step two. Bethel. There's a sacrifice. Take up your cross. It's really a beautiful piece of literature if you read it in the Hebrew. Cross of self-sacrifice. What a visual that is. That when Jesus put Himself on the cross because no one did it for Him, He put Himself up there. He was on His cross of self-sacrifice. And then Jericho followed Jesus. We'll get to the Jordan in a second. The order is very important. You have separate. Separate is always first. You see, if we don't separate, 
If we don't deny our own passions first, when we look to sacrifice, we'll have no idea what that tree of self-sacrifice looks like. We'll have no idea. We'll go and we'll sacrifice. We'll go throughout our day and we'll make small sacrifices. Maybe we'll make big sacrifices, but we'll have no idea if that's what the Lord really wanted us to sacrifice or not. Because there's no separation from our worldly desires. There's no separation with what we battle with inside of us. We hear to obey is better than to sacrifice. Why? Why is that? When you follow Jesus, when you're already following Him, sacrifice was already required of you before you hear about the obedience. If you didn't sacrifice first, then you wouldn't be able to hear and obey. The sacrifice always precedes it. So obedience, of course, is better than sacrifice because it comes after the fact. It comes after the sacrifice has been made. It's a step forward. It's a step deeper into the will of God. Look at Genesis 35 again. It says, God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. What does he do next? Before he builds the altar, before the sacrifice occurs, Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob knew that there must be a separation before sacrifice occurred. He knew it. He separated himself. He separated his family before they made the sacrifice. It's time to evaluate. It's time to throw away everything that draws our attention away from our Savior. It's time to separate Make that our very first step as we wake up. We wake up, we yawn, we open up our eyes and we separate. Say, God, what needs to die in me today? What do I need to separate myself from? I need clarity. I need clarity in my life. I'm tired of walking around and spinning my wheels because I'm making sacrifices that I'm not sure that you desire me to make or not. We have good examples of this. 1 Samuel 15, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? This is Samuel talking with Saul. Saul has just come back from a battle. And he won. But he kept some of the things that the Lord told him not to keep. And Samuel hears from the Lord and he goes and he confronts Saul about it. He said, Saul, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. 
I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Hmm. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? So what was Saul's problem? He tried to sacrifice before he separated. You see, he had a desire. He went to war. He battled and he won. But he had a desire to please his men before he had a desire to please the Lord God. He thought, maybe if I sacrifice here, instead of destroying everything completely, I'll just take the best. It'll work out fine. But he didn't separate himself from his own desires. And it was sin. He made a sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrated it to the Lord God. But it was sin. It was misguided. He didn't separate first. Our misplaced sacrifice might not just be wasted. It might fill the Lord with regret that He placed the calling on your life that He did. You see, Samuel goes to Saul. He goes to him in the last verse of chapter 15 and says the Lord regretted that He had made Saul king over Israel. We must separate. Separate. Even from the things that we feel might be good to sacrifice. If we don't separate from our own desires first, we are spinning our wheels. We are sacrificing in vain. We're taking the energies that we could be committing to something good to the Lord. And we're spitting on them. We're exerting them in the wrong direction. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They made a sacrifice, but they also had a desire. They wanted to appear like they were doing something good for the body of Christ. And don't get me wrong, they made a big sacrifice. They sold a valuable piece of land and they brought most of the money to the apostles and disciples. That sounds like a good sacrifice. But they didn't separate themselves from their desire. Their desire was not, Lord God, show me. Show me. I need to separate from this this need that I have of pleasing those around me, this need that I have of looking good, of looking like I'm sacrificial, of looking like I'm, I'm sold out when I'm really not. I must separate. Purify me, Lord God, and show me what you want me to sacrifice. Show me how you want me to sacrifice so that it's not in vain. What does Romans 12 tell us? says, do not conform, be transformed. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Separate from the world first. Separate, separate, separate. And then you'll be able to see what the Lord's will is. Then you'll be able to see clearly with a focus that is unprecedented as you look and you search out the Lord's will. 
separate first. What does this look like, practically speaking? It looks like possibly you waking yourself and you saying, I am going to line myself up with the Lord right now before anything happens, before I step out of this room, before I step out of this house, before I step out of this car for work, before anything happens, I am going to align myself. I'm going to separate myself from the desires of my flesh. And I'm going to press into God. We need to do whatever it takes. We work too hard. We work too hard in this place to work in vain. We work too hard to miss the Lord's heart. We work too hard to miss the will of God. Too hard. Separate. Make it your heart's desire. Make it your first priority. Wherever you go, whatever you do. So Gilgal and separate is denying yourself. Bethel and sacrifice is taking up your cross. And Jericho and seek is that follow me part. So what about crossing the Jordan and seeing the glory of God? Here's Luke 9, verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Jesus took them through a pattern. He said, deny first. Then, Take up the cross of self-sacrifice. Then follow me. Then and only then will people see the kingdom at work in your life. Then and only then will my glory be seen. Will my glory descend. Then and only then will the kingdom be at work in you the way that it needs to be. That's how people see the kingdom in us. It's a process. It's a pattern. It's a daily pattern. Luke 9 says daily. Over and over and over again. You know, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha started out the journey. He had a yoke of oxen. He had his equipment for plowing. And he had all kinds of servants and people with him. And Elijah said, come and follow me. Come separate yourself. And he went back. He burned the plowing equipment. He cooked the yoke of oxen on it. He talked to the people that he was with and he said, look, this is serious. And he left and he went. But it did not stop there because every day he woke up and he was following Elijah. Every day he woke up and some of the things, the miraculous things that Elijah did, that the Lord did through Elijah, Elisha got to experience them. He walked with Elijah day after day after day. He woke up and it was a reseparation. It was a resever, a realignment, a refollow. And they saw the glory of God work through them. Day after day after day, it was more than just the initial.
I love the word that came forth earlier from Mike speaking about intention. Because this word is all about intention. It's all about focus. It's all about trading in an aimless walk, a walk around with a walk full of intention and purpose. It's what it's all about. And this is how we get there. This is how we get there. We adhere to the pattern of God. So where, where do we find ourselves on this daily journey today? Have we separated today? Have we sacrificed today? Did we sacrifice rightly? Have we sought with all of our heart today? And have we seen the glory of God? Because if we miss one step and we get used to missing one step in the pattern, then we'll get used to missing some of that glory of God and we're at work in our lives. We'll get used to missing some of that glory descending as we interact just daily with the people that we come into contact with. We'll miss it, but we'll get used to it. We've got to evaluate tonight. Why do we follow this pattern over and over again? It's the only way to be right there behind Him. It's the only way to walk right behind Him wherever He goes. And He can't take you everywhere He wants to without it. You see, Elijah told Elisha, If you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. That was at the beginning of the day. He had a full day's journey to go. He had a pattern to adhere to. He had things to do. But at the end of the day, when he saw Elijah go up, the glory of God was revealed. And an anointing that was unprecedented came. Days and days and days of the pattern. Days and days and days. Like a stepladder leading up to the heavens. One step. One step. One step. We pray for anointing. We pray for the power of God. Are we willing to put in the daily work? Step after step after step. Because after steps and steps and steps for years, Elisha finally received the anointing that he was after. The double portion. The anointing for the firstborn. He received it. First Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Can't you see some some similarities between us and them right here? As Moses struck the rock and the water flowed, that rock being Jesus Christ and the water of His presence being flowed, flowing out and us partaking in it, us drinking up His presence just as the Israelites drank up that pure water from the rock. It's a pure reflection of us and them. 
But it takes a turn. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 10, it, it starts hitting a little closer to home. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things occurred as examples. These things occurred as a pattern. These things occurred over and over and over again in the Old Testament and in the New so that we could see the pattern. We could see a reflection. We can evaluate our own lives. This, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the age has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Time and time and time again, it's written down. We must look to the compelling patterns of the Word and let those patterns be a reflection and pattern our lives after them. Pattern our very lives after the patterns we see in the Word of God. So does our life look like the pattern? John the Baptist. He's a pretty good example of separation, sacrifice, seeking the Lord, and seeing the glory of God. His life showed this pattern daily. John 3, starting in 25, we see an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. See, that certain Jew could look to the other side of the Jordan and he could see the glory of God, but he found himself on the wrong side of the river. He found himself on the wrong side of the river and got the wrong perception of the glory of God. You see, he saw it as competition. But John the Baptist, he replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. Would you die for a vision like that? Would you die for a pattern like that? Will you commit to step by step, day by day, time after time, as we seek the anointing of God, as we seek the glory of God? Will we commit to the process? It is a process. And it does not come overnight. And I know you guys know that. 
But just like Wade was talking about perseverance, perseverance, we must continue in the pattern. You see, John the Baptist was so ingrained, he was so intertwined with the pattern. He was so, his life was the epitome of it. He was so intertwined with it that all the joy was his when he found it in its perfection. All the joy was his. Does our life look like the pattern? What step can we take to improve? Which one can we approve on tonight? Which one can we seek the Lord out and say, maybe I need to start with the separation or maybe my sacrifices have not been pleasing. Maybe I haven't been seeking the Lord like I need to, like I want to, like I know that He's calling me to do. Because when I look at my life, I don't see the glory of God being revealed daily. I don't see those opportunities jump out like I want to. I don't see myself witnessing the way that I want to witness. I don't hear the Lord's voice like I want to hear it. I pray that the Lord is stirring up the hunger, the hunger for the glory of God to be revealed in your life. But even more than that, the hunger for the process to attain it, a love for it, a joy just like John the Baptist that abounds because of it. Amen.